The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. to get some wonderful things out of the word this morning. So here's what I like to do. I like to upfront remind you of this. You're here for a reason. You're here for a purpose. You could be anywhere else. You could be at AM Donuts right now eating a hot apple fritter. What? You could be anywhere right now, but you're here. You're here. And God has you here for a purpose. There's something in the word today that is intended for you. It's intended for me too. And we can take on that mentality, it can create an anticipation for something great to happen in our lives. I mean, the things that we sing about are wonderful to sing about, but the thing that makes them wonderful to sing about is because they're real, that God is doing a great work in us. So there's something in the message today, I can guarantee you that God has specifically in there for you, for your household, to do something incredible. So here's a few things we're going to look for as we get into the Word. One thing we're going to find as we get into the word, step two and seven steps to love. Now, that might sound a little confusing if you weren't here last week, or, but we're looking at seven steps to love in the scripture. Now, love is important. Love is what identifies us as Christians. Jesus said you'll be known by your love for one another. You know, oftentimes we think we can display our Christianity by our Bible knowledge or how many conferences we attend or our consistent attendance at prayer meetings and all those things. Conferences are great. Prayer meetings are very important. All that stuff is good. But what identifies us as believers is our ability, our willingness, and our vulnerability to love one another. Because to love one another doesn't just mean you love other people. It means you let other people love you too. That requires a vulnerability and a trust that God will protect and it's a wonderful thing when it comes to, into to full practice, you see incredible promises of God revealed. Here's a promise. When the love of God is perfected in us, there's no room for fear to exist. I mean, how awesome is that? To live a life without any anxiety, no matter what the situation, no matter what we face or deal with, to be able to stand firm without any trembling or any shaking, knowing that God is good and he'll take care of you. That's what love accomplishes. So I see love as this ultimate thing that ought to be the foundation in a believer's life, but the Bible gives us some steps to obtain it, to pursue it. And we looked at step one last week, we'll look at step two this week. Another thing that we're going to find in the Word is why we need knowledge, why God gives us knowledge. I mean, He gave us a book, right? So He gave us something to study, to gain an understanding, to have knowledge, we're going to find out why we need to have that. It has a purpose. The reason why we need to know that purpose is so that we can look at our lives and find out, is, is my life creating the purpose that God intended for it to create? Am I living out the purpose that God designed? He's given us knowledge in order to do something very specific, and we can see that in the Scripture. A third thing we're going to find is how to get more grace and peace. How to get more grace and peace. Now, grace is something that I think it's important to just emphasize what it is. Because we have become very acquainted with the mercy of God, right? That you deserved to die for sin and bondage and affliction and all of the things, the bad choices, the rebellion. You could just make a long list. You deserved that, but yet God's mercy removed that from you. Mercy is that wonderful gift of not getting what you deserve. 
And then you have grace. Grace is when God doesn't just simply take away all of your sin. We've got to see sin like debt. Are any of you familiar with debt? Yeah, okay, I can say I'm familiar with debt. There was a time where I had a, an amount of debt, and I wanted to see that debt removed. Just think of sin the same way. I wanted to see that debt removed. And by a wonderful, wonderful provision, God allowed me to see that debt removed. But what was I left with then? When I finally climbed out of that hole of debt, what was that balance? Zero. God hasn't sent Jesus to die on the cross, to shed his blood, to conquer death in the grave, to ascend to heaven, to reign forevermore on a kingdom unshakable, to be the God of a bunch of zeros. That's where grace comes in. It's that mercy that gets rid of the debt, that gets rid of the deficit, but then we're at zero, and now here comes the grace of God that fills us with the power of God and the authority of Jesus Christ, and now we are so much more than zero. We're going to find out how to get more grace and peace in our life. How many of you could use a little more peace in your life? I've got two nine-year-old boys in my house. I would like some more peace in my life. I had to break up a fight this morning over Lincoln Logs. Lincoln Logs, man. Come on. All right, we're going to get into the Word here. Seven steps to love. We're going to look at step two. Now, this is a lot of reading, but I'd like for you to look in your scripture, in your Bible, if you can, just to follow along in the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to see some really amazing things here. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to just begin in verse 1. Now, this is written by Peter, and it's written to the church. So that means it's written to you. Simon Peter, a bondservant of the apostle, or an apostle, excuse me, of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith the same kind as ours. You've got the same kind of faith as Jesus, he, or as Peter. He was there in the upper room. He saw the day of Pentecost come to pass. You have the exact same faith that he has. The same kind of faith as ours, by righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. Now, we've stopped here every time. Some of your Bibles may say by. The real translation is to. People had a difficult time thinking that God would call us to his glory and to his excellence. But that's exactly what he's done. Have you noticed we're not seated by Jesus in heavenly places, but we're seated with Jesus in heavenly places? There's got to be an inferiority complex that, that needs to come out of us as believers to see that God has exalted us to a wonderful place in his kingdom. In fact, the scripture says that you're going to judge angels. That sounds like a pretty important position, don't you think? Yeah, so let's get past this and let's not get hung up on it. God didn't call us to these things by his glory and his excellence, but he called us to his glory and his excellence. You'll see that here in another verse. By these things, he give, he's given us great and precious promises so that by them we may become partakers in the divine nature. Partakers meaning you're sharing in the same nature of God. You're becoming more and more godly every single day as you apply these things that God's bringing into our lives. And we escape the corruption of the world. Now I want to read in verse 5. 
Now, for this reason, apply all the more diligence in your faith to supply. Now, here's where we're going to see seven things that lead us all the way to love. Step one, moral excellence. We talked about moral excellence last week. If you've ever wondered why there's a shortage of love among Christians, you might ask yourself, is morality failing among Christians? And I don't think you have to look very far to see that Christians really blend in with the world on so many levels that morality has been compromised. Morality is an important thing for us to keep. I don't want to get into that. That was last week's message. If you weren't here, go online and look for it. We've got to have moral excellence. That's step one. For moral excellence, then, we get knowledge. That's what we're going to talk about today. Step two to love is knowledge. We're going to find out what that means. Then self-control, step three. And from self-control, perseverance, step four. And perseverance, godliness, that's step five. And in godliness, brotherly kindness or brotherly love, there's step six. And in brotherly kindness, then love, there's seven. That's our ultimate goal. We want to get to that finish line. We want love to be prevalent in our lives, to be revealed in our words and our actions, to be the foundation of our relationships. When you read of what love is, it's all of those things that we desire to see more of, patience and kindness, long-suffering, all of these things that we need to see marriage thrive, our relationship with our children thrive, to see our friendships thrive. It starts with moral excellence. Now we get to knowledge. We're going to talk about knowledge. I want to finish reading here in verse 8. If these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will render you neither fruitless or unfruitful in any way. For the one that lacks these qualities is short-sighted, having forgotten that God's forgiven him. Therefore, be diligent and make certain about his calling and choosing you. For if you practice these things, those seven things, you'll never stumble. And in this, you'll have entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's really important to me. You know, a kingdom's not a place. I mean, I've got maps in the back of my Bible. How many of you have those? That used to get me through church when I was a kid. I'd sit and look at the maps, draw airplanes and army tanks and all kinds of stuff on them. But looking through those maps, I could never find the kingdom of God. It's not on a globe. It's not on a map. It's a domain. It's a place of authority. It is the dominion of a king, the domain of a king, a kingdom, a king's dominion. When Jesus Christ becomes Lord of our life, when our decisions and our choices become subject to his counsel, He'll never force us to do anything, but he'll provide counsel in everything. When we surrender to his counsel, we're functioning in his kingdom. And when we have entrances to, into his kingdom, excuse me, as the passage puts there, we have access to everything that the kingdom is. And the word says that's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So I want to talk to you now about knowledge. I think it's important that we get into the scripture. Knowledge is a very powerful thing. We've got to have knowledge. Without knowledge, there's a very, very negative effect that can happen in our lives, in our households, even as a church. Knowledge is always something that you have a choice to pursue or to not pursue. Knowledge is always a choice. I watch my sons as they have grown up. They've already read me into the ground. I think you could count on two hands how many books I've read in my life. And they've read dozens and dozens, if not now triple digits, books. The, the school system has encouraged them to read, and they've just begun to read and read and read. 
I think it was yesterday my son had ordered a book. It came in, and he'd read 250 pages by the time the day ended. 250 pages. I mean, it's like a real book. This isn't like a comic book. It's a real book. I looked at it. And I'm thinking, what was the difference at nine years old between you and me? I mean, obviously he enjoys it, but he chooses to do it. It's a choice. He wants to learn things, so he wants to read. He knows that's out there. We have access to knowledge, now more than ever, by the way. I talked to a friend of mine who was a a student at a major university where I was pastoring years back. and He said that his professors, a lot of the things that they're wrestling with now today is how available knowledge is. It's making some of their courses and classes obsolete where you used to have to go and purchase a book and study a thing to know about it, now you can pull out your phone and Google it and know it in seconds. Information now is readily available, but we're going to see there's a huge difference between information and knowledge by the Bible's definition, by the definition of the Scripture. But knowledge is always a choice. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It it reveals how important knowledge is, the priority that we need to place on it. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6. It reads like this. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. You could just stop right there and let that soak in. My people, not a people, not those people, but my people. That my has a capital M. Who's the my there? It's God. So you're talking about God's people, God's people whom he loves and he cherishes and he redeems and he sets free and he liberates and he provides for his people are destroyed. What? That just is crazy to me. But it's something that we need to stop and look at. God is saying something very important to us because he'll never touch our will. There's never going to be a day where we just simply are all of the sudden aware. There's a pursuit and a seeking after of those things that he will always respond to, but he'll never touch our will. So he's saying this, my people are destroyed all because of a lack of knowledge. Now, because, because is a big word there. Can you say because? Yeah, it's a little academic, but it's enough that we need to take a look at it. Because here comes a cause that's going to reveal this effect. Because, because people have rejected knowledge. I also will reject them from being my priests. Now this is a really big passage because this is us. When you read in the scripture, our redemption doesn't just make us Christians. That word's really not in the scripture a whole lot, but what you'll find is that God from the very beginning has been making us a nation of priests. But you see here that if knowledge is rejected, our priestly identity is revoked. It goes on to explain why, since you've forgotten the law of your Lord, I'll also forget your children. Wow, that's weighty. I mean, like, there's a part of me that wants to even not read that last part, but I think we ought to hear it. Because we have choices and decisions all the time with what we do with our time, how we spend our time. I got news for you. There's a big sinkhole in the couch where I sit. Because I've spent a lot of time there. You know the spot, right? It just testifies of how much time I've spent right there. 
when there's something inside of us that could see this and urgently pursue something that God's made readily available to us. I'm a big fan of lounging around and taking it easy. Don't get me wrong. But I do know that if God's called us to seek out knowledge and we refuse to seek it out, we ought to see there's a massive, massive negative effect that comes with that. When he's placed in us, our households, the opportunity to pursue his ways, his presence, his direction, his counsel, when we refuse to seek those things, it has a huge, huge, huge effect on things. To reject that knowledge is to have our identity revoked. Knowledge in the pursuit of godly knowledge needs to be a priority in our lives. And here's a passage of scripture I'd like to give to you. I don't think you're going to see this one on bumper stickers or anything like that. Here's a good way to know if you are a pursuer of knowledge. You can take this verse and run it a couple of different ways. But I want to give it to you here out of the Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. You ready for this? Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1. Now, some of you may need to cover your ears because it has a word that some of us might not say. The other day, my kids are nine years old, and I think somebody said stupid, and they were like, um? That's still a bad word at my house. You just don't call people stupid, right? But yet, we're going to see that word right here in the Scripture. It's a pretty condemning thing to be identified as stupid. Proverbs 12, verse 1. Whoever loves discipline... I could just stop right there. And I don't want to humiliate anybody, so don't put your hand actually up. But what if I were to ask, hey, show of hands all of you who love discipline. Be like, you're kidding me, right? Love discipline. Get out of here. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. But the one who hates discipline is stupid. That's what it says. New American Standard. Isn't that crazy? You'd think they would have gone with foolish or something like that. Because I think smart people can do foolish things. It's just about making a bad choice. But this is actually challenging intelligence and IQ. It's saying loving discipline is the same as loving knowledge. Hating discipline is to be stupid. There's something in me that just really doesn't like being corrected. Just ask my wife. Would you agree with that a little bit? I'm right all the time. It's not easy, but it's true. I mean, I'm just joking, but nobody, nobody comes to the place where they enjoy discipline unless, unless, I mean, I want to hear unless from you. Yeah, unless, because this is the point. If somebody were to preach this, it would just be such a weight and a burden, right? Oh, I've got to enjoy discipline now. Christianity is so stinky. But there's a huge unless here. I don't like being disciplined unless. And by the way, there's a big difference between discipline and punishment. Discipline and punishment are not the same thing. Punishment is found upon vengeance. You get what you deserve. That's punishment. Discipline is correction. It's about redirecting. It can happen in a number of ways, but the whole point is to get someone on track, to straighten out something that's crooked. Discipline. It's very hard for me to enjoy discipline unless, unless I know the one who's disciplining me has my best interest in mind. 
You know, the psalmist got to write, your rod and your staff, those are things used for discipline. Your rod and your staff, just to guide, to keep you from turning this way. Nope, 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 don't turn that way. Nope, nope, not that way. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, a lot of my life, his rod and his staff annoyed me. It bothered me. It bugged me. It interfered with my plans, all because I didn't realize how he had my best interest in mind. I didn't have that awareness. I just thought he had nothing better to do than pick on me. But God's been guiding my life, and I know he's been guiding your life, all because he has our best interest in mind, to lead us to a place of prosperity, celebration of fellowship with him. When we know the one that's disciplining us, it gets so much easier to enjoy the discipline. To know I've got someone looking out for me. That even if I make a mistake and begin to step off in this direction, he loves me so much, he'll step in. He'll step in and redirect. And when we can come to a place where we understand the one that disciplines us has our best interest in mind, we can actually be a people who are just like the psalmist say, hey, your discipline comforts me. I've come to a place now where I don't hate it anymore. But even though it might not be what I want, I still know it's what I need. And it leads us to a place where we can pursue knowledge. I want to give you a couple of passages here. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 6 and 7. Have you ever known somebody that just kind of learned stuff easy? It just kind of came easy to them? Didn't it make you sick, right? I worked with a guy one time. The profession was farming. We specialized in repairing irrigation equipment when it would break down. It'd break down in the middle of fields, you know, and the corn would be 10 foot tall, and it's humid and just nasty with bugs. There was one season we had these spiders that were the size of my hand. And now the, the distance between these rows is about 36 inches, about three feet, like a yard which apparently was the perfect distance for them to put their webs. And for some reason, you know, I'm about six foot tall. They like to put their web about five foot eight off the ground. So when you're walking through it, it's just like, oh, there you go, right in the face. And you'd be walking through these fields, and you've got to keep your head down, or else the leaves of the corn will cut you up. So you take your hat, and you pull it down low, and you just walk. But I couldn't help but think, you know, hey, these critters are out here. And I, if I just stare at the ground, I'm going to show up, you know, where I'm going be covered in them. So this guy that I work with, doing the same exact job, we'd get out of the truck at the same time, we'd get our gear at the same time, and we would go to work. And somehow, he would always get to the job site about three times faster than me and almost have it done by the time I got there. We'd get out of the field, and he's already in the truck with his tools put up. Now, here was the thing that really upset me. He didn't have any mud on him. And I'm covered like head to toe. I've fallen three or four times. I lost a boot. I lost a boot. I mean, like, lost it, not like it came off. Like, oh, my boot came off. Oh. Like, where'd my boot go? It's gone. That guy just had a gift. He was good at it, and it was his calling. I tried my best at it, but 
He was good at it. Well, there's some people where knowledge just comes easy. We're going to see something in the scripture here that can make knowledge come easy for you. How would you like that? The knowledge of the things of God, the scripture, the, 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 the books that we read together, the things that we pursue, the sermons that we listen to together. And by the way, I get as much out of the word as you do, I promise you. I'd like for knowledge to come easy to us, and we're going to see that here in the Scripture. Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. A scoffer seeks wisdom and finds none. You know, there are people that are looking for wisdom, they just don't find any. Now, here's where we come in here, but knowledge is easy. What, can you say that? Knowledge is easy. Yeah, knowledge is easy. Man, I want that on a bumper sticker. God's made this to be easy for me. It's not some hard, difficult labor. Knowledge is easy to the one who has understanding. Well, now, that only means something to me if I know what understanding is and where it comes from. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Knowledge is easy for the one who has understanding. And then I like this next passage here. I just think it's good to throw in there, just so that we can apply it to our lives. If we're having trouble understanding knowledge, we might ask ourselves, who am I hanging out with? Because listen to this next passage. Leave the presence of a fool or you will not discern words of knowledge. Who we hang out with is important. Obviously, we've talked about how important knowledge is. Having knowledge and the pursuit of knowledge, not rejecting God's knowledge, is conditional for our identity as the priests and kings that he's anointed us to be. But we hang out with the wrong crowd, and it's going to be hard for us to discern words of knowledge because there's going to be a voice of confusion trying to redirect our path in other directions than the way God's leading us. I want to give you a passage of Scripture here. It's one that we talked about why we need to have knowledge, why that's important. Philippians chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 4. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we've not stopped praying for you and asking that you may be filled with knowledge. Now, I want to stop there. There's obviously people praying. They're praying for you, and they're praying that you'd be filled with knowledge. The people that are praying, the Apostle Paul and the leaders of the Christian church, the people that they're praying for are believers. They're praying for me and you, even though we're not living on the earth yet. They're praying for all of Christianity. And they're praying that we be filled with knowledge. We have been praying that you be filled with knowledge. The knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now verse 10, so that. Can I get so that? So that, so that is important. All of this prayer that we be filled with knowledge has a purpose. We pray that you be filled with knowledge so that. We need to be praying that our kids will be filled with knowledge so that. We need to be praying that we be filled with knowledge so that. We've been praying that you be filled with knowledge so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects and bearing good fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that cool? What a wonderful thing that we can pray. Pray over ourselves. Pray over our marriages. Pray over our children. Father, fill us with knowledge so that we can be fruitful in these things. But now here's something that becomes kind of a hang-up for me. You ever had your brain just like hit a brick wall? You know, like the tires screech. 
yeah, I kind of have one here when I'm reading this. Because the prayer is for knowledge so that, so that all these great things will happen. One of those great things is that you'll grow in knowledge of God. I'm praying that you'll have knowledge so that you'll grow in the knowledge of God. That seems like if he's praying for knowledge so that you can have something, you've already got it. Does that confuse you? It does me a little bit. I'm praying that you'll have knowledge so that you'll grow in knowledge. But there's something there that I want us to look at because it means something specific if we look close. He's praying for us to grow in knowledge so that we will be fruitful in every manner, so that we'll walk in a manner worthy of our calling. That's being a priest, being a king, functioning in the authority of Jesus Christ and the power of the kingdom of God. He's praying for all of that, and he's also praying that we would then grow in the knowledge of God. I want to stop there with the knowledge of God, those three words. And this is where sometimes we have to check back in because it all starts to sound like white noise. This is really where the rubber meets the road. The knowledge of God. I think a lot of people have spent a lot of time over a lot of years learning about God, learning knowledge about God. But I don't think that's what this is referring to. I know there's bookstores devoted to carrying Christian books that you could read all kinds of things to gain knowledge about God. But this is specific that there's a desire and a pursuit ultimately for us to grow in the knowledge of God. I want to go to English class for just a second and look at that word of. The word of is really interesting to me when we read this. Of is a possessive word. It shows possession. And I know that's weird because we don't really talk that way, but I've got a pen here. We would just say, hey, that's Preston's pen. You could also say, hey, that's the pen of Preston meaning that I possess it. This is my pen. Don't take my pen. That's the pen of Preston. So when we read here about the knowledge of God, it's not just talking about knowledge about God. It's talking about the knowledge that God himself possesses. It is the knowledge of God. It is God's knowledge. Hey, I'm praying that you'll increase in knowledge so that you will be fruitful in all of these things. Ultimately, that you would increase in God's knowledge. I want to give you a passage of scripture out of Proverbs just to try to move this in the direction where I believe it needs to go. Proverbs chapter 2, I want to read verses 1 through 6. My son, if you'll receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, if you'll make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her out as silver and search for her as hidden treasures, then... Can I get a then? Do you see what has to happen before you can cross this then? This then is like a bridge. And on one side is the seeking, the crying out, the pursuit. Then that then shows up. And it's a way to cross over from all of the pursuit and all the crying out and all of the seeking to what it is that we've been crying out for. What it is that we've been seeking. Seek understanding. Pursue discernment. Look for these things with all of your strength. Then... Then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. God's knowledge. Then you'll discover God's knowledge. 
I like this next verse in 6. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. There's something there that we need to really just stop and think about. I love that throughout the scripture, Old Testament especially, you'll see something written. God's constantly talking to his people, and he's telling them this, if you will obey my voice and keep my commandment. If you will obey my voice and keep my commandment. If you will obey my voice and keep my commandment. How many things do you hear? Obey my voice and keep my commandment. There's two things. There's God's commandment, everything that's been written down, and then there's the voice of God. God desires to speak to us all the time. All the time, in every aspect of our life. And it's clear in the Scripture, you can see that in the Scripture, but yet sometimes that becomes a difficulty for us to wrap our mind around. We see that, well, there's certain people that are special and they hear God talk to them, but, but, you know, that's not really me. When the reality is God's called that for every single person to hear his voice and respond to it and to keep his commandment. And then right here, after we've talked about how important knowledge is, how necessary it is, the wonderful things that it leads us to, the very knowledge that belongs to God, we see that that comes from his mouth. How amazing is that? For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So I'm seeing something here as I'm looking at these scriptures. If you take all of this and you just spread it out in front of you, you can come to this. I need to prioritize knowledge. That's important. If I reject knowledge, my identity is compromised. And in the pursuit of knowledge, I can see that it has a source. It comes from somewhere. It comes from the mouth of God. That means I'm going to need something. I'm going to need to be able to hear what God's saying. If I'm ever going to have knowledge, I need to be able to dial in and hear what God is saying. I want to ask you to turn to a passage of Scripture because I want to make this as easy as possible. 1 Kings chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3 tells the portion of a, a king's life. His name is Solomon. It's history. It's not a story. It's actually recorded. Very, very well documented. His rule and his reign was so profound in the wealth that he managed, in the prosperity of a kingdom. Absolutely incredible. But everything in his life was called into question in one single moment. As he became king, and you can read earlier on, chapter 1 and chapter 2, his becoming king is filled with drama. I mean, Hollywood's got nothing on the things that took place right there. And as he becomes king, he has a conversation with God. As he's praying, God basically asks him, what do you want? What do you want? Do you want riches? Do you want long life? Do you want victory over all of your enemies? What do you want? 
Now, I mean, we read this like a story, and because we are so driven by the entertainment that we uh, have, have enjoyed in the past, we can picture it like that. But sometimes we need to just apply these things to my life, your life. What do I want? Do I want riches? Do I want victory over my enemies? And by the way, that sounds very Lord of the Rings, but the truth is for a long time I was motivated by vengeance. I wanted to prove to everyone that said I couldn't that I could. That's the same thing. I wanted victory over my enemies. That was my motivation. It got me a lot of grief. What do I want? And Solomon has a chance here. Now, most of the time when the story's told, it's very simplified. It just says that he asked for wisdom and God gave him wisdom. But that's a very, very watered down interpret- interpretation of what actually took place, what was asked for there. Now, if you read in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, here's what he said according to how it's translated in the New American Standard. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, he says, Give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people to discern between good and evil. Give, give me an understanding heart. Understanding. <clears throat> understanding and knowledge. Those things that come from your mouth. Now, if you go to the actual original language, he asked for this. He said, Shema Leb. Leb is a shortened Version of Lebab, the heart. Shema, Leb. Shema means to hear. To hear. So when this man, who is no different than me and you, by the way, he's been anointed to be a king, so have you. He stands before God as God is asking him, what do you want? And he says those two little words, Shema, Leb. I want to be able to hear you. I want to be able to hear your voice. Your voice is the source of all knowledge. Your voice is the source of all understanding. Your voice is the source of all sound counsel. Your voice will lead me to fruitfulness in everything that I do. Shema Lab. And God's response is amazing. He informs that this was a priority one answer. This is the answer. If there ever were a right answer, this is it. Had he asked for wealth, he would have gotten it. You know what? He probably would have lost it. Had he asked for victory, he would have gotten it. But through that, probably become arrogant and ended up losing that. Long life, probably would have squandered it. Wasted it away, accomplishing nothing. But he asked for one thing that could give him everything. I want to be able to hear your counsel. I want to be able to hear the knowledge of God. I want God's knowledge revealed to my heart. Shema Lev. And because that's what he asked for and that's what he received, he knew and led one of the most prosperous kingdoms that's ever existed on the earth. Saw victory upon victory. Breakthrough upon breakthrough. Everything that would sum up success, he embodied. All because 
Shema Lev. Because he would hear the counsel of God and put it to practice. You know that we have the access to that same counsel. The exact same knowledge of God. It hasn't changed. It hasn't changed a bit. It hasn't even been revisited and edited. It's not volume two. But all of that wisdom, all of that counsel, and all of that knowledge that would make one young man become the greatest ruler known on the earth is available to you. To become the greatest husband on earth. To become the greatest wife on earth. To become the greatest family on earth. To create the the most successful business on earth. To be successful in everything that we do. And I love that this is an important step in our pursuit of love. And God's very intentional that this step would come only after moral excellence. Because without moral excellence, it's going to be very difficult to hear the voice of God. I want to give you a couple of things as we close. We're definitely closing. Just a couple of things that are important to me in my life. If I've ever had difficulty receiving God's knowledge, knowing what to do with a situation or a circumstance, I have to ask myself a couple of questions. Because we know that God doesn't take a day off. He's never not interested in my life. There's never been a time where I've needed him to speak and he just wasn't saying anything because he lost interest or moved on. But there's a few things that I will ask myself as it concerns hearing the voice of God, receiving his counsel and his direction. Jesus said this, and it's worth just making a note of. He said, my sheep hear my voice, and I call them by name. It's just a little... Simple sentence, but there's so much to it. When I'm having difficulty receiving God's wisdom or His knowledge in a situation, I have to ask myself, am I being led by Jesus in this? Is He my shepherd in this? Because my sheep hear my voice is what He said. Is He leading me? Am I following Him? And in anything that we face, in anything that we do, whether we've prayed a sinner's prayer or not, we have the opportunity to follow Jesus or to choose another way. And based on his promise, my sheep hear my voice, I'm guaranteed this. If I'm following him, if I'm letting him lead, I'm going to hear him. If I'm letting something else lead, I'm going to hear that. And then here's a passage of scripture that I'd like for you to turn to if you're willing to. Psalm 115. I love this psalm. Psalm 115 talks about idolatry. There's times I've had trouble hearing God or hearing direction or accessing the knowledge of God. And of course, he said that that should be easy. Remember what we read earlier out of Proverbs 14? Knowledge is easy to the one with understanding. Knowledge is easy to the one with Shema Leb. It's easy to the one with an understanding heart. It's easy to one with a hearing heart. 
He hasn't made it hard. He's made it very accessible. Psalm 115, it reads something like this. It says, idols are silver and gold. They're the works of men's hands. It goes on to describe them. It says, they have eyes, but they can't see. And they have ears, and they can't hear. They have hands, and they can't work. They have feet, and they can't move. You'll see it all listed in there. They have mouths, and they can't speak. And then it goes on to say this, and this is really the important part. And all that make them will become like them, and everyone who serves them. Any time that I've found that I have ears, but I can't hear. I can't hear what God's saying on a matter. It's important to stop and search our hearts for idols. Is there something else that's become more important to me than God? Is there something else that's become a bigger deal to me than the things that God's told me to value? Is there a priority that's out of place? Has something been put before my wife and my kids? Has something been turned upside down or put out of place, even with good intention? Are my priorities lined up with what God tells me to value? And if we can get our priorities lined up, we can open up our ears to hear clearly and see great things. I mentioned before we're going to find how to have more grace and more peace. I want to offer this to you. We're going to close. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. It's used as a greeting here. If you were to write me a letter and just say, you know, dear Preston, greetings, salutations. But it's more than just a greeting or a salutation. It's revealing of a cause and an effect that grace and peace are multiplied to us within God's knowledge. As God is bringing direction into our lives, we should see an increase of peace. We should see an increase of grace. Because He won't direct us into anything that He won't protect us through. And He won't direct us into anything that He won't make provision for. He's a wonderful Father. And the more we follow His counsel and His direction, the more we walk in grace and peace. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.